Hey, Dan. Mr. Rob, how you doing, man? I'm fantastic. How are you? Good. Um, do you, you know, this is uh, the art of the possible. Like, that's actually what we're doing now. We're not doing do. like a work call or something. No, okay. I know. I know. But you moved back closer to your mic. Okay. After well, admonishing you, whole, you to chill out. You know what? The whole like Jody Ives thing with you and like, is, is that even his name? Joey Ives, Jody Ives, Mr. Joni, Ives. J-O-N-Y. Joni Ives. That Listen, whole comment. You're, sport, you're sporting an Apple Watch now. Don't get sassy. <laughs> well, no, but you always like, you always yell at me for the audio, but then you're like the mouse on the other side with like the crickety, crackly crickety and the static and the interference. So I don't know. I think I'm more representative of you. You ever heard of subtle and measured? So listen, you, just you try the decal. We have a guest waiting. We have a guest waiting. <laughs> you hear that? Like it's these end of the day, these end of the day ones get, get out of control. So let's, we'll jump in. Susie Sosa, uh, founder and president and CEO and ultimate supreme being a uh, verb um, is on the line. Save us from ourselves. Susie, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me here. It's great to be with you guys. Do you need a, do you need a couple of shots of espresso to like kind of deal with us? Or Totally. Like, yeah. I didn't realize it was going to be this kind of podcast. I, I would have brought a drink. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a beverage, a, an adult beverage probably would be a good idea. So funny, funny Susie's uh, levels are just fine on my side. Just saying. As the I, accidental I, audio engineer. Anyway, what are we here to talk about, Dan and Susie? So um, Susie, I think, um, you know, is, is again, we were talking about earlier, you kind of almost embody the whole art of the possible in my mind. You are a um, startup founder. Um, a verb, which we want to hear all about. Um, you are also a startup founder as an individual and as a human being and um, kind of having to figure out at a personal level, how do you figure out what's possible? You're a mother um, as well. And so I don't know how you do everything you do. And so that's really what we want to kind of talk about today. Um, but to start, I think it's and kind of- And I was of, just going to um, say, I think- uh, you know, you, you and I have been friends through probably the hardest part of my journey. Um, I think when we first met, I had just launched my company in the same year that I got divorced with a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, and in the middle of that, you know, I ended up totally pivoting the business and going through all kinds of personal ups and downs. Um, so you've really gotten to see me go from one person to becoming a completely different person and my business going from one idea to a completely different idea where it is today. Absolutely. And, and but you're still like the, your awesomeness has been the constant in that. <laughs> no, I'm way more awesome now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I, I think to, to go there and I think kind of where we met. Is kind of is a great place to start the conversation because actually when we met, I somehow got drafted in to be a judge for the Dell Social Innovation Competition, mm-hmm. right? So I think there, and then there was, wasn't there like, what was the, what was the conference down in Austin 
that like the social entrepreneurship conference that used to be, I forget the name of it. Maybe so, Rise, our entrepreneurship yes. conference, Rise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that, that was, was even before um, we spun out Verb from, so I was at the University of Texas. I was running the social entrepreneurship program. And as part of that, I was running the largest student business plan competition focused on social ventures in the world. It was funded by Dell called the Dell Social Innovation Challenge. And um, yeah, and the and the big moment in 2013 was when I decided to spin out of UT and create a company off of the platform, off to the concept of the platform that we had built uh, working with Dell. And so, yeah, you were one of our judges and, um, you know, we were really focused on like, how do we um, accelerate the impact of all these social entrepreneurs in the competition? Which was awesome. I got a special place in my heart for that. And then, but now, so tell us about what Verb is now. So I, I think the conversation we should have is now we know what Dell was, right? Now let's tell us what Verb is and tell us how the hell you got there, right? And kind of all the twists and turns and like what you went through to figure out how that Verb today is where you needed to be. Yeah, so today Verb is an online leadership development platform um, that we sell to companies for their employees targeted to first-time managers so they can develop themselves and also so they can develop their teams. Um, One of the things that sets us apart is that we focus on a kind of new type of leadership that we call conscious leadership. So in addition to more traditional leadership and management capabilities, we have added in things like self-awareness, empathy, self-care, inclusion, authenticity. Um, And our customers are companies like Facebook, Whole Foods, Auth0, Bumble, um, And yeah, we started off as a company running social impact competitions for large brands. (laughs) So couldn't be more different. I turned over my entire team. So there's not a single person at Verb today that was there when we started. Uh, We pivoted to sell into a completely different department. Our first product we sold into corporate social responsibility and into marketing Um, And now we sell into HR. Um, Our platform is completely different. Our platform used to run competitions. So we would um, enable applicants to enter and to create a profile and talk about their venture. We had judges and mentors and, um, you know, facilitating all the scoring. And today we're an online learning platform focused on um, teaching people to be better leaders through practice and habits. Uh, So if you have ever used an app like Noom, which is really popular right now for getting in shape, we're kind of striving and moving toward being the noom of leadership development. So how do we teach people through daily, weekly, monthly practice to show up at work being um, a better person and a better leader? That's fantastic. Rob, I just signed you up, buddy. Just so you know. No, Rob, Rob, I signed you up. So you're going to have to I didn't sign you up because you're unconscious leadership. This is conscious, (laughs) okay? Um, (laughs) So is it guided or is it... Uh, self-paced? Is there an in-person component? Can you upsell or up buy to an in-person component? Uh, these yeah, leadership yeah. things with people, in my experience, are so much more effective. 
Yep. So yes to all of that. Um, we we have a library of original content that we built kind of being inspired by platforms like Duolingo and Blinkist. So it's short micro learning modules that are interactive and participatory. So for example, if you're learning how to be more effective at having difficult conversations, the little activity will ask you to think of a difficult conversation you know you need to have, but you've been avoiding and actually go through a kind of, you know, exercise to plan it out and map it out. What would you say? What's the issue? What questions do you need to ask? How, what kind of emotional response do you need to be prepared for? Um, so it can be on demand like that. Like, how do I write an OKR? How do I have a difficult conversation? Um, you know, or it can be more planned out. So it can be, um, let's say you want to get promoted and you're an individual contributor. You want to be a first time manager. We have pathways to help you cover those basics because most employees never get trained in how to be a manager. You usually get promoted because you're good at a technical skill like marketing or product management or engineering, and no one's ever taught you how to lead a team. Um, we launched this year uh, a live product, so it's called Verb Plus, and it's actually a 12-month leadership program where we take our online content, but we, we layer in live experiences. So it's cohort-based, 25 to 30 leaders in a group. There are live workshops, six of them throughout the year, plus small accountability groups and one-on-one -on -one coaching. So we're really taking a lot of the, the different aspects of leadership development that companies are offering in a piecemeal way. Like you might have a coach and you might have an online platform and you might be, you know, meeting in, in smaller ERGs or affinity groups. And we're putting it all together into one unified program um, that's really focused on like real change. So you you replace ERGs for companies? No, I don't think so. But I think it's um, if you have high potentials, if you have first time managers, if you have women leaders, putting them through the structure of Verb Plus um, and actually having topics to work on together and learn together can really deepen the results of that group. Um, what about one of the second things time? That's well known, like, sorry, I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh, I was just going to say teams that learn together work are so much stronger, right? You get common vocabulary, higher trust, you know, um, all of those things. So we really view learning as a way of strengthening culture and productivity and, and so much more. Is the cohort designed to be intra-company or inter-company? So we designed it to be intra-company, um, and we are now offering our first inter-company cohort. We um, had a customer that's part of a private equity group, and they said, hey, we'd love for you to talk about this to the rest of the portfolio companies because we think they'd be interested. And it turned out that the portfolio companies really wanted to have their leaders in mixed cohorts uh, so they could learn from each other. Um, so we're launching our first one of those this summer. Oh, that's Very awesome. Cool. Very cool. So, uh, so that's amazing. So that's a verb today. I'm still kind of in awe, a little bit of baffled, really curious of how you made the jump. Like, how did you make the switch? Like, how do you go from social competitions, enterprise competitions to this leadership development? Like take us through a little bit of like, 
what was going on in your head? Was there an inspirational moment? Was there like a dark 3 a.m. tear filled sob? Like what was, what was it? Are both of you fathers? You yes. 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 Some yeah. of us are better than others, but yes. <laughs> He's unconscious. So, I'm conscious. It's a theme. <laughs> so if you were conscious during the labor and delivery of any of your children, I would liken pivoting a company to that experience where your your body tries to forget what it was like. So, you know, you, you don't have to carry the trauma of it through the rest of your life. Um, it was a it was a you know, traumatic experience uh, for me. And I can say that now because I'm on the other side, but <clears throat> I started Verb in 2013. And by 2016, I could tell our business model wasn't working. Uh, the market wasn't big enough. Our product was very service heavy. It was really difficult to deliver. It needed to be customized for each uh, customer. And so I got to this moment, my dad had just been admitted uh, to the hospital for throat cancer and was um, intubated because he had had um, some reaction to the um, radiation therapy. So I'm in the, in the ICU of the hospital trying to take sales calls and customer success calls because I was the only person who knew enough about each custom deployment to be able to triage all of this. And I said, okay, my customers are unhappy. My employees are unhappy. I'm unhappy. Like <laughs> something has to change. Yeah. But I really didn't know what it was. And I spent um, about 18 months uh, hunting around for a business model that would work. So I, my first idea was that instead of building custom social innovation competitions, we would actually propose topics and we would find sponsors. So we would say in 2020, we're going to focus on anti-racism and we're going to run a competition for the best ideas in anti-racism, or, you know, we're going to focus on, um, you know, women's education, but that didn't work. We didn't have enough brand credibility to attract the kinds of sponsorship we needed because um, we were competing with so many other nonprofit initiatives looking for sponsorship. My next idea was that we would be the back end platform to power everyone who was running any kind of social innovation competition. So I went traveling around the world to different countries to find all the different think tanks and um, you know nonprofits and universities that were running social impact competitions. And I tried to convince them to leave the platforms they were currently using and migrate over to Verb. And we would build the world's largest database of social innovation ideas and, you know, have this kind of one giant place uh, for social impact competitions. And, you know, nobody wanted to leave. They had already invested too much in the configuration of the platforms they were using and they didn't want to pay for it. So that idea didn't work. Um, we came up with an idea that we were going to be a match.com for employees to be paired with nonprofits <clears throat> to do mentoring. Um, and so we would use kind of our mentoring uh, tool, our online tool, and kind of go more at the individual level instead of running competitions. And I pitched that to a bunch of CSR departments and uh, nobody was really interested in that either. So 
you know, I spent months and I was running out of money and um, my team was very, you know, scared. Like, what are we doing? We don't have a vision, you know? And so I started losing people. They started quitting. Um, and, and I remember being on uh, sales calls with the nonprofit, with the CSR departments talking about this uh, match.com for volunteering and one of the line items in there in my slide was uh, that the benefit would be leadership development for employees who participated because they would learn to mentor um, through these projects. And every company <clears throat> asked me, tell me more about leadership development. And I said, well, you know, what do you want to know? And they said, well, we have all these millennials who are uh, aging into their first management positions and they need management training and leadership development. And they they want it to be different. They want it to have be focused on purpose and meaning and different kinds of topics, the kind of stuff that you guys seem to know something about. Like, could you tell us more about what you're doing in leadership development? And like any good entrepreneur that's, you know, facing the threat of her own survival, <laughs> I said, give me 10 minutes. I'll be right back. <laughs> so I went to Upwork and we just started posting um, jobs for teachers to help make leadership development content for millennial employees. And in those early days, we we brought in like middle school and high school teachers to create content for us. And it was all wrong. But I came back to these customers and I said, hey, here are some of the modules we have in development. Would you, are you interested in these? And they said, oh, actually, yes. Um, let's bring in our HR team because they're the ones that would make the decision. So in 2016, we we kind of started faking it. We just had screens with baseball cards with titles of courses, but nothing was actually built. Uh, we sold the first ones to four companies in 2017. And then in 2018, we ended up sunsetting competitions and launching, you know, full wow. steam ahead into leadership development. That's, I mean, that is such a story. I mean, that is a story, right? And the, I love that it was literally like not a throwaway bullet, but like just a random bullet yeah. on a slide. But yeah. just like, and this is why I love like the startup world and startup founders, um, because it's just like you're like sitting there and all of a sudden you like, you are so passionate about the thing, right? You're like, this is it. Cause you have to be otherwise, cause people don't buy something you're not passionate about. And all of a sudden it's like, well, what about that? And you're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're so passionate about that. Right. And so that is such a great story, Rob. I know like Rob, listen, you're like, you're, you know, you know, I hate to say it, but like, you're one of the, you know, best like startup founders I know as well. And like with Zope and, and reach and all the rest. And I can imagine, you know, I'm off, I'm a, I'm a failed social entrepreneur. Um, so I have a question about that for you, Susie, but Rob, what did, what did that trigger like flashbacks or no, like, I, I can tell you, you know, that horrible. When we were thinking about, um, you know, what to do post Zope for media, this, um, uh, everyone looking at you like, okay, what are we doing today, boss? And you're like, working on it. Yeah. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> I remember Rob, I had um I had a team meeting once. I was I think it was like the larger leadership team and one of my employees uh, at the other end of the table stood up in the meeting and looked me straight in the eyes and I see it now. He said, "You don't have a north star." 
And I was just so embarrassed, you know, because I really didn't know exactly where we were going and what we were doing. And um, yeah, and I, you know, and I, I was called out, you know, the whole team knew it. Uh, And I think that's one of the fables of entrepreneurship, like people think that you dream in your notebook about your perfect idea. And then when you finally have it, you launch it and that's it. And you've gotten it right. And so people, VCs ask me all the time, how did you come up with the idea for Verb? And I'm like, I didn't. The market led me to the idea. And I think that's actually the truth is that your job, I actually view my job as a founder. I call myself a midwife because I'm just delivering into existence something that the market wants and the world needs. It's not my idea. The, my idea didn't work. That's the whole problem. You know, well, I think that, and, and so go ahead, go ahead Rob. Huh. Uh, so for the, for the listeners who don't have the benefit of the visual, I'm showing Susie and Dan the, this is literally a company logo of a company I knew in Austria, and that's it. And what it is, it's a big <laughs> scribble with a line coming in on the left and a line leaving on the right. And I said, I asked the founder, um, I said, how did you, why is this the logo? And he said, this roughly approximates the path we took from original idea to what we do today. And, and I was like, that's brilliant. Right. And I love the story. Well, yeah. and then on the other side, like I was that startup founder. I was the social entrepreneur startup founder that had my idea that was going to change the world. It was citizen effect. It was how do we allow everyone to be a citizen philanthropist? You don't have to be Bill Gates to change the world. You can be, you know, be a, you can be a teenage uh, boy or girl. You can be whatever, a teacher, whatever you want. And we're going to let you change the world in a small part. Right. So like that was the, the vision and the passion and, and people loved that story, but I was a really, really, really bad startup founder because I was the guy whose ego was so big that I'm like, that's the idea people. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's that's the one that's going to win. Mm-hmm. And so like, we did not pivot. Like that, like we needed to do, like the biggest pivot, for, biggest pivot for us was like, oh, like yeah, maybe we'll white label it. Maybe we like we'll white label it and we'll let like uh, like Humana came and they, you know, their CSR department. We worked with them, and so we white labeled the site for them. But um, no, because I was like, oh, I was so certain that that was the idea, and that's why you know I'm working at Twilio now, and it, and since fact is in the the dustbin of history. Um, it's really tricky. I've read some, um, like academic papers and they, and they say you should pivot just enough. What's that? Like, you don't want to pivot too much because then you, you know, nothing's really gonna stick. Um, and, and you need to lean into something to prove that it's work going to work, but you don't want to not pivot enough. So it's really, really tricky. Um, Those are words written by people that write about people like you. (laughs) Yeah. The um well, when, do you have do you have investors, Susie? Yeah, I do. I've raised uh, thirteen million dollars for verb. Verb two or verb one? Great question. So I raised uh what is it? Um so six, nine, four million for verb one and nine million for verb two. And did you have to manage those investors through the pivot? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, and because like, that, that's and, the untold heroic story. Yeah, it's well, <laughs> one of the moments that was really um, pivotal. I have a lot of impact investors. We, we're a social enterprise and we started out there to enable social entrepreneurs. And I, I had a, a, a full investor meeting for all the investors and most of them were there in person. And I was sharing our vision that we were gonna become a leadership development platform. And my investors were challenging me saying, you, you are abandoning your social impact. Leadership development is not social impact. There's a dime a dozen of leadership platforms um, and so, you know, we're not aligned. And then I had my traditional investors uh, who were less impact oriented saying, you know, pardon my French, but fuck the social impact. We don't want to lose our money. Go build a viable business and you can do what you want philanthropically when you when you sell it. Um, and so not only was I, you know, stewarding investors, but I was stewarding investors with very different um, goals. So all right. So. Here's the, this is the question that you sparked a little while ago that I've been struggling with and wanting to um, ask. And honestly, I haven't because it almost feels heretical based on my my time at Citizen Effect and the whole social uh, social entrepreneurship world. Is there any such thing as a social entrepreneur? And can you look, because, and and this is the, the reason why I asked the question is, Part of the reason why I think Citizen Effect failed was because of me. And I was like, this is my mission. My mission, I have a mission to save the quote unquote, save the world, right? Um, shorthand for that. And therefore, I felt like I didn't need, like, pivoting was, it was heretical. Like, I can't pivot off a purpose. I can't pivot off the purpose. Like, I can pivot within the purpose, right? But I can't pivot off the purpose. And therefore, you know, felt like maybe that was the constraining thing because it's harder to find the, the like the product market fit and have the market tell you what to do because you're tied to this social purpose. And so like, you're the first person I've ever been brave enough to ask that question to. So like, what's your, you know, you better be a really gosh darn good answer. I mean, I'm going to tell you that some of the hardest moments in my journey have been when people question my integrity and I was deeply questioned, in particular by my employees, about whether I was truly committed to social impact. Because when we started becoming a learning and development platform, all those people that I hired to support social entrepreneurs were like, this isn't what we signed up for. This doesn't feel like social impact. And many people accused me that I was abandoning social impact for the financial viability Um, I never saw it that way. And my answer to your question is yes, I absolutely believe there are uh, social entrepreneurs. And I know for myself that I am not motivated by money as a goal. I'm motivated by money as a means to expand my impact. Um, John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods, has a great quote, and he says, the purpose of a business is no more to make money than the purpose of the human body is to make red blood cells. And I think about money like that. They they are the oxygen of my impact. Um, And so, 
you know, for me, I was very clear when I started that I wanted to impact the lives of millions of people. And I knew that my first business model wasn't going to do that. And I know that my business model today will, but it was a really lonely place in the middle of, you know, in the middle of that valley of death, which they call it, when I was trying to find a business model where I could have a meaningful, powerful, measurable social impact and a business model that would be self-sustaining, you know, and grow to a large scale. And I, I actually think we need more examples and more conversations about this because a lot of entrepreneurs just pick one or the other, right? Social impact, but it stays small or large scale and they forfeit social impact. And what does it really take to have both? Well, and what kind of investors invest? What's the exit plan? Like if you're going to raise money in the form of securities, everyone wants some kind of exit plan. So does that an M&A like LinkedIn buys you one day? It could be. I think for Verb, most likely the exit plan is acquisition, not because we're a social venture, but because in learning and development, almost all the exits are acquisitions. Um, but there are B corporations that have IPO'd. So there are an increasing number of social impact companies that are making it to, to an IPO. Um, that's not the path that I think Verb is likely to take. Um but it is a challenge, right? And and a whole nother conversation we could talk about impact investing and the and the I don't know challenges they face of like delivering market rate returns while also supposedly delivering social impact. And I don't have any institutional investors in Verb. All of my investors are individuals. So that says something about who's willing to back companies like mine. That's fascinating. Um, I would love to know one B Corp that IPO just because I want to figure out what they're about and like what are their returns Etsy? post IPO. Etsy is one of them. Really, I didn't know Etsy was B. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think the in Dan and I have had this conversation a lot with some other guests. Is how do you balance the like capitalism it, to your to further your analogy? Capitalism is blood pressure. Mm -hmm. It moves these red blood cells around and without mm -hmm. blood pressure, you die. And I'm just the, the balance of the, the notion that you could be a pure capitalist and make a social investment for a return is unnatural for me mm -hmm. because we talked about this with Slaby, right? Facebook wants to grow its audience at any cost. Why? Because like there's teachers and firefighters that have the retirements plans in Facebook stock. I get it. But you know what? It has a downside of Facebook downside, right? We got this media and how information flows and what does that do to society and what, how does it create divisiveness? Um, it's really fascinating conundrum, I think. I, my opinion on this is that it's not inherent to business in, in terms of the, the tension it's actually inherent to capital markets. So you alluded to it right there that um, people have their pensions invested <clears throat> in companies and um, stock markets. And I would argue even the model of venture capital, the way they're currently architected puts pressure on maximizing short-term returns. Um, and that tends to be antithetical to sustainable social impact 
and um, Mark Benioff and others are advocating for you know rethinking the stock market. And I think that's actually one place where changing that will trans. It'll just have a, a wave of transformation. Um, across the rest of the economy. So I don't think it's inherently broken in business. I think it's broken in our sources of capital right now. I think it, so uh, let me try this out on you. It's broken in um, third part in companies whose cap tables got third party investors in it. If I'm a, if I'm a solopreneur, you're right. I can balance it because I'm the dictator. I live and die by my decisions. But if I have someone else's money, it becomes very difficult to to manage that, right? Well, you have to be very aligned with your money. And, and that's another terrifying thing in entrepreneurship. So I've been raising my Series A and decided that I, we had gotten to a stage where we needed institutional capital, that um, the dollar amounts were getting big enough. And so... Um, I started fundraising and I was pitching to a mixture of traditional VCs and impact VCs. And I wrote uh, out the characteristics of my ideal investor. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how I live my life. I say, okay, I'm going to manifest what I want. Uh, but I can tell you, I think I talked to 100 investors and 99 of them were nowhere near the characteristics on my list. And I was scared. I mean, this I, I started fundraising in February of 2020. When I started 2020, I had a cash runway through July. And I thought, okay, I'll get my Series A done by the end of Q2. I'll be fine. Whoa, that didn't go as planned. So here I was like running out of money, trying to figure out how to extend my cash runway. My sales had completely dried up because HR leaders were totally preoccupied with remote work, race riots, like you name it. Um, and I'm pitching to investors that are not value aligned to me at all. And, and of course, when you're in fear, you're so much more likely to make a decision you know, that's going to hurt you. Um, and I was lucky, you know, I, I managed to get some support from my existing investors and we're going to end up, I think now with a venture investor who's perfectly aligned to us, but I have a lot of compassion for entrepreneurs who, who end up with someone on the cap table that forces them to start to run the company in a way that's not aligned with their values and vision. It's, it's pretty scary out there. When you have people's lives, their mortgages, their, their preschool payments on your back, when you're the CEO and you're responsible, it's not just you. It's all those people that look up at you to take care of them. Um, but of course, the consequences can be pretty you know, significant for a company, depending on where they take capital from. No, it's a wonder anybody starts companies with all that like <laughs> true stuff. <laughs> Usually they don't uh, know what they're getting into. Historically stamp this uh, podcast because it's kind of a historic moment. Uh, um, you mentioned HR and how they're overwhelmed with riot, uh, kind of the, the, the race, the race issues and everything. So Derek Chauvin was just found guilty on all three counts for uh, murdering George Floyd. So no, no. Uh, a big moment. Um, and so, so I want to, I want Dan, I want to make a request that um, we have Susie back to talk about reinventing the stock market, talk about mm -hmm. all yeah. possible, because uh, I think I, I, I agree. I think that we have a lot of momentum in a broken way. We have yeah. broken well, momentum. You know, 
And Rob, that's it. Like, why don't we actually have a panel on that? It'd be fun to get like, you know, Susie plus two on that. I think that'd be really, that'd be a phenomenal talk. Another, another topic that I've been just thinking about, I haven't actually talked about it with anyone is, uh, you know, uh, how venture capital promotes white supremacy culture. So in my company, we've been learning about what is white supremacy culture and what are the characteristics of it. And it includes things like an emphasis on speed, um, you know, um, bigger is always better. And when you look at the list, there's actually a really great paper that lists these characteristics. When you look at these lists and where they come from, a lot of them come from the capital structure, particularly venture capital. So that'd be another, what would, what would venture capital have to look like to not be promoting, unconsciously promoting white supremacy? But how is, how is speed and bigger is better a function of white supremacy? Like that, you can. I can send you information. You can read about it. I would love to. I love to. I I, I enjoy being wrong because it's the act of learning. Um. So let's. Rob learns a lot. Rob learns a lot. He learns a lot. <laughs> See, that's that's something I would say to you. Yeah. Well, you know. But so on this topic, though, and, I, and if we have a few more minutes, I have one more question for you, Susie, and it relates to. Um, kind of diversity and all this conversation we've been talking about. And I think you've been very, very intentional on how you've built your team. Um, and I'd just love for you to kind of share a little bit about the thought process on that, um, how it's worked out, uh, how, um, how hard or easy it was to find talent. Um, I know you've had complete turnover of the team and I like, so like you've kind of probably had to do it twice. So what, Tell me a little bit about that. My partner, Steve, likes to tease me that we're 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 not a diverse team because it's full of middle-aged white women. <laughs> so, but for a tech startup, you know, it was like, wait a minute. Um, we're actually 5050 uh between men and women. Um, and uh, we have a not one non-binary person on our team as well, and and our leadership team. Um, and I think, you know, we've attracted different kind of talent because of the way we run the business. Um, you know, I prioritize, um, uh, I guess, kindness and transparency and teamwork. Uh, we, um, I think we communicate, like sometimes if it's an important meeting, we start with a meditation. It's a different kind of culture. Uh, we give a lot of uh, flexibility, a lot of emo, you know, emotional, mental health uh, support. Um, so, yeah, we we ended up with a, a very um, non traditional software startup team, um, and I love it. And the people who come to Verb say, like, I've never worked anywhere like this, and um, I've never felt so free to be myself. Um, I've never felt so supported in. Um, my kind of work-life balance. Um, I, you know, a great example, something I'm proud of is we had this working group on anti-racism. And when we, we were learning about white supremacy and white supremacy culture, my employees led a discussion about how does white supremacy show up at Verb? And everybody shared about it in front of me. And I can tell you, it was really, really hard to hear uh, people say things like, yeah, we feel that power is really concentrated and there's not transparency in decision making. And even though there's a lot of women here, this feels like a very masculine culture and you get 
uh, punished for for sharing emotions or being vulnerable. I mean, stuff that I never expected to hear because I I I think we're the opposite. But the fact that my team members were willing to say those things in front of me makes me really proud that we've created a space that feels safe. You know that they can do that. So, so congrats on that because that's amazing. The um, the other thing that you hear a lot is like, well, we just can't find the talent like in diverse communities, like, you know, in, in what's your response to that? Well, they recruit each other. So for example, we're hoping to hire our second non-binary person here any day. We have an offer out to them and the non-binary leader on our team reached out when we had an opening and said, Hey, you should apply for this. So you have to make the investments in the hard work of finding those, you know, first hires. And then if you have a great culture and a supportive environment, part of what will help the flywheel accelerate is they will reach out and continue to recruit friends to, to come to the company. But I know that, um, you know, those candidates are asking tough questions like, what is work-life balance? Do you expect me to work on weekends? You know, do you, you know, um, yeah. Questions like that, um, that you have to, you know, you have to do that work and build that kind of company that supports it. If you want to attract that talent. So let me, let me ask you a possibly provocative question on that subject. Is it possible to run a startup at 40 hours a week? Yes. Okay. With, with aligned investors? Yes. Uh, I think actually with any investors, I have long held the um, point of view that um, there's a ton of uh, unnecessary busy work that takes place in startups because of the fear of failure. And people think staying busy reduces the likelihood of failure, and it doesn't. Um, What reduces the likelihood of failure is staying really, really fucking focused on what matters. And um, I've met a ton of founders who go almost insane because of the uncertainty of possible failure ahead of them and not knowing what to do. And they start getting on people like, we need to get to the office at 730 and we need to stay until 10. And it's really just because they don't have the tools to manage their own anxiety. So one of the things I'm out to kind of prove with Burb is that more is not better, right? It's actually the quality of the work, the quality of focus. One topic I'm very passionate about is energy management. So as a founder, as a CEO, my one of my primary responsibilities is to manage my own energy so that I can you know, lead the team effectively. And that means managing my anxiety. So I invest a lot of time in meditation. I sometimes, you know, I I have to take a break or I don't take a meeting because I'm not in the energy state that's going to be powerful. And I, I really believe it's a myth. I think a lot of that crazy busyness uh, in startup is just because people can't handle their anxiety. They don't know what to do with it. And they push it out to the rest of the team. That's not to say I haven't done a 60 hour week, but it's not every week. It might be because, you know, I have something really significant coming up or, you know, it's once in a while, but it's, it's not a regular. And I don't ask that of my employees. That's awesome. It reminds me of, reminds me in college um, to my, I think probably, you know, you guys tell me if you had the same kind of perception, 
architecture students are infamous for, you know, working all night, pulling all nighters. There's honor in like, like I had a, one of my best friends, he's like, man, I've been up for 96 hours. And, you know, and, and so like, wow, the program must be inc- insane and incredible, whatever. And then you go over to the architecture building at like five o'clock or six o'clock and everyone's just goofing off doing, you know, like there's, you know, there's another handstand story, which I, I probably shouldn't share on the podcast. And then they, you know, they don't get to work until 1am. You're like, well, guys, that's why you're up for 96 hours straight because you've been, you know, being a college student for all the other time. So it sounds like there's a little bit of that in this, in the startup world as well. So yeah. Uh, you are uh, you know, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Best of luck to you um, with Verb. Go, everybody, go to goverb.com. Um, that's how you see that. Uh, and I have one just, parting shot. I wanted to yes. ask a question. What about yeah. second level managers or second time, third time, fourth time? Are you going up that way or is it just oh, purely oh. the first time manager thing? Uh, we are uh, extending throughout the organization. So yes. Um, and one of our uh, most exciting things about our tool is that it's intended to be used by the manager with their team. So we support a lot of team-based learning where the whole team will actually complete a collection on Verb about you know, uncovering your bias or how to conduct effective interviews or uh, self-awareness. And then we give a discussion guide for the manager to then have a live conversation with their direct reports about what they learn, what they take away, how this impacts the team. So, um, you know, we we have a lot of resources for managers to develop themselves, but what we're really excited about is supporting managers to lead their teams in learning. Uh, I love it. Is it a, can you walk up and pay go or do you have to have a, an agreement? You got to talk to a salesperson? Yes. Today we, uh, uh, we, felt we, we, uh, we are transitioning to the, a product-led mo- model like a Slack or Zoom where um, teams could sign up for themselves and then upgrade into a, a pro subscription, but that'll launch next year. Okay. Well, I'll when you get on the mail, just so you know, just, Susie, just so you know, when you get boo hissed by Rob, that means he's automatically volunteering to be an advisor. So. Oh, great. <laughs> Yeah, we'd um, love to. Uh, we'd definitely love to work with you guys at Twilio if you want to try it. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I'm well, no, we will absolutely small, right? Uh, <laughs> we'll put in the good word. Um, and so, yeah, Susie, thank you so much. Uh, phenomenal, um, listeners. Just so you guys know, we probably should have said this, you know, ten weeks ago. But follow us on Twitter. Um, it's Art of the P um, on Twitter. So we're on Twitter. You can follow us on, we have a Facebook page, are the possible on Facebook as well as are the possible, uh, page on LinkedIn. So art that's where you all can know. Art of the P. Art of, art of the we, P. We had a, and one of our earlier guests had a book about how not to suck at marketing. Did you read it yet? Art of the P. <laughs> it was great. We're going to so, say my, okay. my nine-year-old son would be really interested in following that handle, I think. <laughs> so, Here's the funny story about that. I'm like on Twitter, I'm signing up. I, I put in Art of the Possible podcast, whatever, just to sign up and everything. And then I click create and it gives me, I'm like, Art of the P, why did you give me Art of the P? But then I kind of liked it. It's kind of memorable, right? You're never going to forget it. Right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, it's, just, it's not P E E to be clear. It's not, no, not P E E. Clearly, we all have young boys in our house. So. <laughs> oh man, I don't know how I'm gonna recover from this one. Rob, save me. Yeah, uh, it was great to be with you guys. It was great. It was great. Thank, Thank you, you, Susie. Questions. Yeah. 
Great. Next, Thanks, next topic is fixing the stock market. Dan, um, we don't have a, another guest coming up yet. We don't have a schedule. Yeah, we do. We, got, we, have, we have Peter Dixon, from, uh, who's the right. chief creative officer for Profit, coming on. So That's he'll fantastic. Be awesome. Cool. All, right. All right. Good stuff. Yeah, so great to be with you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Susie. Thank you, Rob. Talk to you guys later.